Good afternoon and welcome to the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Candace Dirksen. Coming up this afternoon, Manitoba's new Agriculture Minister, Derek Johnson, highlights the agri-insurance enhancements for 2022. And Cap General Manager Brenna Mahoney offers an update on the organization's past year, ongoing work and vision. The latest farm news and market numbers also coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Manitoba's new Agriculture Minister Derek Johnson addressed delegates at this week's annual general meeting for Keystone Ag Producers, where he also announced agri-insurance enhancements for 2022. I continue to applaud our tremendous resilience of the ag sector for their determination and not only through the pandemic, but through the drought as we experienced uh, this past summer. The agri-food sector continues to operate successfully. However, there are other impacts to address. Our government continues to collaborate with industries and stakeholders to address upcoming situations on an ongoing basis. The impacts of the drought place the agriculture sector in need of significant support. We are developing programs to help build the existing labour force capacity and to attract new people to the sector. Our department negotiated with the federal government to provide $150 million in agri-recovery programming. This funding was primarily to assist livestock producers with feed and transportation assistance. We are also offering a unique herd management program to support producers who have had to make tough decisions on liquidating breeding stock. And this program will help rebuild the cow-calf industry. To ensure these programs are delivered quickly and efficiently, the department is prepared to administer applications and quickly respond to sector inquiries. These programs were designed with input from Manitoba beef producers and Keystone ag producers, and uh, my department will continue to work with you to ensure that our industry remains resilient in the wake of the 2021 drought. The drought underlined the impacts of climate change on our sector and reminded us of the importance to look ahead and prepare. We continue to monitor our programming and are working with Keystone Ag producers and the federal government to ensure that the extraordinary costs faced by livestock producers are supported by effective programming. Last fall, the Department of Agriculture heard from Keystone Ag producers and others that Manitoba has the potential to be a global leader in climate-based solutions. I appreciate the vision of our sector as responsible stewards of our environment. Producers will lead positive change. We also know that environmental goods and services are increasingly important for building public trust in our industry. Decarbonization and reducing greenhouse gas emissions will bring a challenge in particular, the respect to nitrogen fertilizer, industry is seeking help with carbon reduction strategies. These strategies include increasing the production of nitrogen fixing forages, promoting sustainable livestock production, and increasing the health of grassland ecosystems. We must continue to offer incentive-based programs to support producers to adapt and address climate change to meet emission reduction targets and to continue to build resilience. We can achieve this through nature-based solutions, 
such as rotational grazing, wetland restoration, and efficient water management. We also heard from the sector about the desire for ongoing investment in research. This includes research that supports the development of climate change adaptation and risk mitigation tools. No conversation about climate change is complete without discussing water. Our government is finalizing a made Manitoba water strategy that supports producers in the event of floods or droughts and incorporates irrigation needs. I hope you made your opinions known on water through the Engage Manitoba platform or at the water strategy development sessions hosted by Enterprise Machines Intelligent and Learning Initiative this month. Looking ahead, we will continue to work with you to build a stronger, sustainable ag sector for Manitoba. In the next months, we'll be reaching out regarding the next policy framework to hear what, what you believe are the right programs. Your input is critical to ensure support is directed to where it is most impactful. And speaking of support, I want to share with you the details of the 2022 Agri-Insurance Program. I am pleased to announce that Agri-Insurance coverage is expected to reach a record level of $4.66 billion in Manitoba this year. Average coverage is estimated to be $463 per acre compared to $321 uh, per acre in 2021. The substantial increase in coverage reflects the expectation of continued strength in the commodity prices. Based on your advice, MASC is also introducing several other changes, including a new polycrop establishment insurance that will provide financial assistance if an eligible polycrop fails to establish. An increase in the indemnity level for table and processing potatoes destroyed prior to harvest is also going from 85% to 90%, and a reduction in the minimum acreage requirement for vegetable acreage loss insurance. For more than 60 years, the agri-insurance program has been an important tool to help farmers manage the many risks of growing a crop. Our government is proud to continue to support the agriculture sector as we focus on economic recovery. In closing, I want to thank everyone here on behalf of all Manitobans for keeping food on our tables. Your efforts matter a great deal to our future and our economy. I look forward to our ongoing strong relationship and taking positive steps forward. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. I'm Candace Dirksen. Delegates voted to approve five of seven resolutions presented at this week's Keystone Egg Producers Annual General Meeting. As a result, the group has been tasked with lobbying the Government of Canada to treat non-arms-length transactions the same as arms-length transactions of farm property transfer for the purpose of valuing for taxation. Asking the Canadian Food Inspection Agency to have Amaranthus palmieri added as a prohibited noxious weed seed under the Weed Seeds Order. Request Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada protect the viability of public crop breeding programs by ensuring that agri-science clusters provide funding for all crops breeding activities necessary to bring a new crop variety to market and that a minimum 70-30 government producer cost share funding ratio is reinstated for smaller acre crops that cannot afford to meet the full cost share ratio. 
As well, working with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada to ensure federal trade and market development programs meet the needs of smaller acre crops and niche commodities through various program changes and increasing access and awareness to pesticide recycling. Voted down was a resolution asking CAP to lobby Manitoba Hydro to install natural gas infrastructure at cost to all rural residents. Dr. Michelle Hubbard is a research scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food and says anthracnose in lentils is the most important foliar disease in lentils. It causes um, symptoms that typically start low in the canopy and can include stem lesions as well as water-soaked lesions on leaves. And as it moves up the canopy, it can lead to leaf drop. She notes if you plan to spray fungicide, it's important to do it early as a preventative spray before the canopy closes around flowering. And the Manitoba government and Manitoba 4-H Council have selected the Bioscience Association of Manitoba and the Prairie Fruit Growers Association as the 2021-22 recipients of the Alexander Sherban Agriculture Industry Development Award. BAM will receive $40,000 and the PFGA will receive $10,000 that will cover approximately 62% of project costs for each association. The program was established to strengthen public trust, support labor development and promote career opportunities in the ag and food industry and provides up to $50,000 per year to nonprofit organizations, governments and academic institutions for innovative province-wide initiatives. Stay tuned. The Prairie Ag Wire is coming up. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Ag Wire for Thursday, January 27th. I'm Candace Dirksen. Coming up today, we'll hear part one of Dr. Danny Blair's seminar regarding agriculture and the environment offered up at this week's annual general meeting for Keystone Ag Producers. Blair is a geography professor at the University of Winnipeg and co-director of the Prairie Climate Center. Dr. Blair's presentation discussed the impacts of climate change and the implications for agriculture. He kicked things off with a review of climate change around the world. First of all, a global update, if you don't mind. As you probably all know, the globe is getting warmer and continues to get warmer. Uh, I'm 2021 turned out to be one point, about 1.1 degrees warmer than pre-industrial. And by pre-industrial, I mean the latter part of the 1900s and early part of the 1900s. That's our reference period for this. And what we see is that indeed 2021 uh, in, in, uh, continued the trend of really warm temperatures. Uh, we've had some warmer years in uh, the years preceding 2021. 2021 was tied for sixth warmest, uh, tied with 2018, as it turns out. It's the, it's the trend, of course, that is the important thing. Individual years are going to go up and down for a lot of reasons, some of which we're going to discuss here in a few seconds. Um, most importantly, the, the, wiggle, the wiggle in the global temperature that we see there, uh, much of that is related to El Nino and La Nina. We are decidedly in a La Nina situation and we're experiencing what is typical of La Ninas and that is uh, relatively cool winters in Western Canada. Another way 
that the global temperature flickers, if you will, that it just doesn't go warmer and warmer and warmer under the influence of uh, greenhouse gases is uh, volcanoes. Volcanoes have the ability to put up a lot of material into the upper atmosphere that can block out sun uh, sunlight temp temporarily. And as you might know, we recently had a big uh, volcano in uh, the South Pacific, uh, the uh, Tongan eruption. And um, as you might have heard in the news, it sent shockwaves around the world. But this particular volcano, as explosive as it was, it's very unlikely to cool the climate for a couple of years like Mount Pinatubo and other large eruptions did. There just wasn't enough sulfur dioxide put into the atmosphere. It didn't erupt as long as Mount Pinatubo. And therefore, um, climatologists are, uh, are pretty convinced that the Tongan eruption is not going to cause a little bit of cooling for a couple of years, which would have been a good thing from my point of view, because we're going to get warmer uh, um, as we go forward in time. And here's the La Nina signal. This is a map of sea surface temperature uh, anomalies, how colder or warmer than normal the sea surface temperatures are. And that's a classic signal. These cold temperatures in the Pacific here are classic signals for a La Nina. And that's going to stick around until the spring and then maybe we'll transition next year into a El Nino situation, which will make the world a little bit warmer than normal. Um, but it, whether El Nino is present or La Nina is present or whether uh, volcanic eruptions are occurring, we're going to get warmer because of, of course, because of ca carbon dioxide. We're adding a very large amount of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and continue to do so, and will continue to do, do so for a long time, even despite our, uh, our uh, important efforts these days. In 2020, the average amount of car carbon dioxide in the atmosphere was 416 parts per million. Notice that the pandemic lockdown does not show up in this graph of carbon dioxide concentrations. Yes, the world's industry shut down for a little while there um, and carbon dioxide emissions were reduced, but it really didn't have any impact upon the global carbon uh, concentration, carbon dioxide concentration. So uh, that's a bit unfortunate but uh, that's the way it is. And so carbon dioxide has increased enormously since 1958 uh, when we first started to measure it very, very accurately. And it's going to continue. And the question, as you might know, is how high is it going to go and how rapidly? And that's uh, pretty much what is going to determine our climate of the future, including our ag climate. Um, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, last summer released its latest uh, volume of information about what we know and what we don't know about climate change. And it's clear, it's so, so clear that the rate of warming that we're seeing now in the world is um, unprecedented in at, least, in at least the last 2,000 years. And paleoclimate evidence from ice cores and other kinds of evidence that we dig out of the ground in the bottom of the ocean and tree rings and so forth, paleoclimate evidence indicates the world has not been this warm for at least 100,000 years. That is, you have to go back 100,000 years to see the world as warm as it is right now. And if we continue to go beyond 1.1, if we go past 1.5 and, and 2 and go all the way up to 2.5, let's sure hope we don't go that way, the world will be uh, warmer than it's been in 3 million years. The rate of temperature change, the level of temperature change that we're experiencing in the globe is just uh, remarkable and unfortunate from, from my point of view. And indeed, if we look back at the ice ages of the last 800,000 years, here is where the world was um, was warmest 100,000 years ago. And th this graph is showing the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. 
And so over the last million years or so, carbon dioxide never went up about 280 parts per million. We're way up here. And we just have to conclude, and indeed science does conclude, that uh, we're going to get warmer. We're going to see some really significant changes again as we go beyond 416 parts per million to whatever it is going to be in, in the coming decades. And the climate models tell us that the temperatures that we're going to see across the world are really largely dependent upon the amount of carbon dioxide that we put in the atmosphere. This is a graph of temperature relative to what it was in 1850 to 1900. And this 8.5 scenario here shows that if we, by the end of this century, 2100, we may be almost five degrees warmer than it was uh, recently. And if we follow a lower carbon solution, the world will maybe warm up only you know, two and a half degrees or something like that, which is much better than five degrees because that amount of temperature change in that amount of time will pr produce remarkable changes to our world. There will be some benefit, but there is an enormous amount of risk as well. The amount of temperature change that we are going to experience in North America is uh, greater as the world gets warmer, not surprisingly. From a precipitation point of view, the warmer the world gets, the more the precipitation patterns get energized, if you will, or, or perturbed. But there's, a, as you as ag people know, there's a lot of uncertainty with precipitation um, uh, forecasts and precipitation projections from a climate point of view. But the, the more the world warms up, the more the precipitation patterns are exacerbated. The, and in general, the wetter places get wetter and the drier places get drier um, in a way. Stay tuned to tomorrow's Prairie Ag Wire, where Dr. Blair will offer a review of climate change in Canada and Manitoba and what that means for the agriculture sector. That's it for the Prairie Ag Wire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email to thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Candace Dirksen, and thanks for listening. Have a good afternoon. Prairie Agwire will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. And now for a look at your farm calendar. Manitoba Agricultural Diversification Center's Potato Production Days is into its final day at Brandon Keystone Center. Today is also the final day for the Manitoba Forage Seed Annual General Meeting, which is happening virtually. Beef and Forage Days next week in Austin, Ericsdale and Grandview have been cancelled due to the current COVID situation. The Direct Farm Marketing Conference has moved online and is taking place February 1st to 5th. Visit directfarmmanitoba.ca for more information. An online beekeeping for the hobbyist course begins February 2nd at 7 o'clock. Sessions will be held every Wednesday except on February 23rd until March 30th. Cost is $230, and you can register with the University of Manitoba Faculty of Agriculture and Food Sciences. Manitoba Crop Alliance Combined Customer Workshops begin February 6th to 9th, with sessions following February 22nd to the 25th and March 6th to 9th. Get all the details, including registration, on the Manitoba Crop Alliance website. The official Manitoba Hunter Safety Course is available online. This is endorsed by the province of Manitoba and Manitoba Wildlife Federation. Visit huntercourse.com to register. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Thursday afternoon.
CAP General Manager Brenna Mahoney shared updates about the organization's past year, ongoing work and vision at this week's annual general meeting. The update coincided with the release of a short video posted to CAP's website outlining the organization's path to a sustainable and profitable future. Back in June when I began, it was how to build out from our strategy, but more importantly, how everything we do has to have a strategy and link to something broader. There was also a focus on strengthening relationships. You've heard it in the video. Um, You're going to be hearing it going forward with any work that we're doing, whether it be on labor task forces or farm safety committees or whatever may be involved. We know that it all comes down to the people around that table and beyond. We have to be able to have really trusting, transparent relationships as well as something that's really wonderful about agriculture and and as well as CAP having such a broad base to pull from. Using foresight, there's so much knowledge here. We can be a bit more predictive in what we're doing and using our knowledge to say, hey, you know what, we might not be dealing with this issue today, but what's coming in the future? I think that's really critical. And that really built the basis for fostering this roadmap to value. Um, And so when we look at our vision, it's to provide a sustainable and profitable future for all Manitoba farmers. And when we look at the pillars on how to achieve that, we need to be able to fulfill our role as an advocacy organization. We have to provide engagement and outreach opportunities, not just to make brand awareness for CAP, but also to talk about what's happening in agriculture, help build public trust, help inform about some unique challenges that, for example, young farmers may have or particular members of our community. The other element is that regulatory modernization. So we're in a regulatory environment that's constantly evolving and changing. So we need to be at the table in the forefront of those challenges and everything has to be at the baseline built off of strong operations and strong governance. When we get into advocacy and all of this is actually available, um, it's gonna be available on our website uh, by the end of day tomorrow. It's also linked on our uh, website that is going to be our kind of hub for our annual report. This is all there. So when we look at advocacy, we've had some really great achievements over the past seven months. That's all in there. It it also talks about how it links to the CAP strategic plan, why advocacy is important to bring value to back to our members and how, what what is our objective right now? And we really need to build a unified voice. There's a lot of pressure in the industry and building that unified voice is a really key task for us to be able to advocate appropriately and to work with government and other Um, other organizations that we have to lobby to. So for example, building that relationship with the province, having regular meetings, that's essential. And not just with the minister, that's important too, but with the people that are working on these files every day, working with the federal government. We also have to make sure that we're establishing working groups that are functional and that are really action-based so that we're providing solutions, that we're not just coming with, hey, this isn't working, we're actually coming with, hey, we have a solution. Another example would be the drought coalition that we talked about in the video. That was really, really important. Um, And working with the group that was already in place for quite some time with, with the drought, with the province, we were included in that and we were able to bring everyone's opinions from our commodity groups that were impacted right to the table. That was important. Reestablishing committees like the Farm Safety Council is going to be critical to our future in that space, especially when we look at the regulatory environment that it feeds under. So there's lots of great information there. Engagement and outreach, I've already noted. So this is really about being a unifier, sharing messages, sharing data, sharing information about the key issues. So we have to make sure that we are promoting organizations like Ag in the Classroom and their value, 
that we're engaging with other organizations. We're not here to reinvent the wheel, um, that we're using things that we have like our cap alert and social media to promote the value of agriculture as well as be a connector between producers, that we're making sure that when we're advocating on issues that we're being inclusive and that we're getting lots of different opinions and ideas on, on how we do that, that takes significant engagement and outreach. We also have to really work with our key members when we're talking about how we're promoting um, us as an organization. We want to make sure that our members see themselves in us. So that's something that is going to take engagement with those direct members as well as with those commodity members as well. Regulatory modernization, I already talked about, we're in a moving target. Priorities are changing all the time. So we need to make sure that we have really clear plans of action and really clear centralized information about what is our position, how are we promoting back to producers, what's the value to their business, and how are we protecting them and mitigating, mitigating risk as much as possible. So that's where we have to really be working together on, on this effort and bringing together the, the key people and even including the decision makers around our tables to be transparent and say, hey, this is our priority right now with farm safety, for example. As I had mentioned, our foundational strategy is critical. Now this is led by the board and supported by the organization. And you heard about it in the video, so I, I'm not gonna read through all of this, but I think it's just important that to note that the board is very active and wanting to make sure, do our bylaws work for us? Do our bylaws, and our governance, has it been modernized? Um, the structure of the organization, how do we look to you know, five, 10, 15 years down the road? And what, what works for CAP? So it's not about reinventing CAP, it's about enhancing and getting back to those grassroots and ensure that we're providing that value. So I wanted to thank everybody for today and you know, back to that call to action. Get involved if you can, where you can. Follow us on social media. Feel free to reach out and ask questions to the team. That is what we're here for. Meantime, CAP has launched new branding, implementing a refresh that unifies color, style, and tone across the organization. This coincides with the launch of a new user-friendly website to help showcase CAP's advocacy initiatives and member benefits program. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading to the close is coming up in just a moment. And now for another look at your farm news. For farmers, disease issues are always a concern. Dr. Michelle Hubbard, a research scientist with agriculture and agri-food, says anthracnose is the most important foliar disease in lentils. Dr. Hubbard talked about some of the issues they've been seeing with fungicide insensitivity. Certain fungicides are more at risk for resistance developing to them than others. And group 11s are at the highest risk in part because there's just a single mutation. So a change in one base in DNA can lead to pretty much total resistance to this group. She notes group 3s and group 7s are at medium risk, adding if you plan to spray fungicide, it's important to do it early as a preventative spray before the canopy closes. Keystone Ag producers will further review a request to lobby the Port of Churchill for improved northern and prairie producer access. Presented by District 12, the resolution called on CAP to lobby for the resumption of grain movement as soon as possible. The development of a long-term Arctic bridge strategy that would strengthen the movement of grain and specialty crops to Europe and work with the consortium group members to ask for more market access when the Port of Churchill reopens for grain shipments in 2023 or 2024. 
The resolution was sent to CAP's Transportation Committee for further examination following a vote at the lobby group's annual general meeting this week. And the Bioscience Association of Manitoba and the Prairie Fruit Growers Association have been named the 2021-22 recipients of the Alexander Sherban Agriculture Industry Development Program. The program was established to strengthen public trust, support labor market development, and promote career opportunities in the agriculture and food industry. BAM will receive $40,000 to put towards its Accelerating Awareness of Agriculture and Agri-Food in Manitoba project, which aims to develop and design communication materials to increase public awareness on career opportunities in the agri-food sector, and it's important to the provincial economy. PFGA will receive $10,000 for education and promotion of its local prairie fruit project, which will increase awareness of the fruit production process in Manitoba, the types of fruit available, when they're available, and where to find locally grown fruit. The Alexander Sherban Ag Industry Development Program provides up to $50,000 per year to nonprofit organizations, governments, and academic institutions for innovative province-wide initiatives. And we've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Candace Dirksen. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email at thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. I'm Candace Dirksen, and thanks for listening. Have a good afternoon. We'll meet you back here tomorrow at 12 o'clock.